Well, for a minute there, I was like, man, do I even need to come out and preach? Right? Like, that was incredible, right? What an amazing opportunity it is and privilege it is to be able to gather in this place and worship together with all of you. I know I say this every single time that I get up here to preach, and it's not just like an introduction to my sermon. I truly mean it. It is a privilege and an honor to be able to gather in this place with all of you and sing out our praises to our God and hear preaching from his word. And I recognize and realize that there are people, Christians, who all across the world do not have the opportunity that we have to be able to gather into a place like this and pour out our praise and hear preaching from the word. And it is a privilege and it is an honor. And so I'm thankful that I get to be a part of it. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that, get that open to Luke chapter nine. Uh, and I realize that we've been in Luke chapter nine for what seems like an eternity, right? I think it's been like two straight months that we've been in Luke chapter nine uh, and we're still in it and we're gonna be in it next week. And so um, I just wanna recap a little bit about where we've been in this chapter. This is a unique passage of scripture and that it's like the first time in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus starts alluding to his coming death. There are several instances. If you remember way back in verse 22, Jesus says the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief, chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He goes on to tell his disciples to, you know, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your instrument of torture and death and follow me into death. Because if you save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you're going to save it. Again, once again, he's alluding to his death. And then in verse 44, he says to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of sinful Men, once again, alluding to his death. And finally, we get to our passage of scripture here this morning in verse 51, where it says that the, that, that the days drew near for him to be taken up. Once again, alluding to his death. What we're gonna see today out of this passage of scripture is that Jesus is defining his mission. He's taking Luke chapter nine to define his mission and define his purpose. And he is setting out to accomplish that mission no matter what. And this mission to Jesus is everything. And we're gonna find out what that mission is here in just a minute. But my hope and my prayer for you here this morning is that as disciples of Jesus, that we would grab hold of Jesus's mission, that we would internalize this mission, that we would pursue this mission with every fiber of our being, that we would walk out of this room with greater purpose and greater excitement and greater urgency than when you walked in here this morning. That's my hope and that is my prayer for you here this morning. And so with your Bibles open, let's go ahead and read our scripture for this morning, Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 51 says, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Uh, But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we're so thankful for this morning, Lord. We're thankful for the opportunity to, again, gather in this place and worship you. Lord, we're thankful for your word, God. Lord, we're thankful for what you did for us on that cross. May we never forget it. God, I pray, Lord, that you be with the preaching of your word, that you give me clear thoughts and articulate words here this morning, Lord, that you help me get out of the way, Lord, so that you can speak. And Lord, we just lift this time up to you and pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, the last time that I preached, the overwhelming feedback that I received was, hey, Justin, we don't need three-point sermons. Uh, we just need one point. One point will do. And so uh, I'm going to take that. I'm going to run with it. I've got one point for us here this morning. One point, and it is this. The gospel is everything. The gospel is everything. Now, I recognize when I say that, there are some of you in the room who are like, oh, man, here we go. Really? Like, like the gospel is there? Okay, we know the gospel is everything. You couldn't come up with something more creative and profound than that. And the reality, the answer to that question is no, I can't. Because if the gospel is everything, then there is nothing more creative, nothing more profound than the gospel. Amen? Amen. The gospel is everything. It's everything because the gospel is and it was Jesus' mission. The gospel is everything because it is and it was Jesus's mission. Look at verse 51. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now you might be looking at this verse and thinking, what does this have to do with the gospel? I recognize that the gospel is not explicitly stated in this verse, but it is there implicitly. In order for us to get there, I think we have to answer two important questions out of this verse. The first is, what does it mean that the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up? And the second question is, what does it mean that he set his face to go to Jerusalem? So let's, let's try to answer those. The days drew near for Jesus to be taken up. I think this is a clear reference to the death and the resurrection and the ultimate ascension of Jesus to the throne of God. This is a reference to the gospel, See, Jesus recognizes that the days are drawing near, that his time on earth is short, that his death is coming. He recognizes that it is time for the gospel, the good news to become not just news, but reality. Time was drawing near for Jesus to save sinners with his death and his resurrection from the grave to make a way for salvation where before there was no other way. This was Jesus' mission and this was his purpose. This is why Yahweh, God of the Old Testament, became a man and walked among us sinful humanity. It was to give us salvation. It wasn't to draw a crowd. It wasn't to do miracles. It wasn't to heal the sick or cleanse the lepers. Those are all great things, but that wasn't Jesus' mission and that wasn't Jesus' purpose. His mission and his purpose was the gospel. The gospel is everything. 
So he recognizes that the time for the gospel to be accomplished is near. And so he sets his face to go to Jerusalem. He determined that he was going to go and die. He will not be distracted. He will not be drawn away from this goal. His face was set, his focus, his energy, all of his purpose was set on going to the cross. The gospel was and is everything. And so he set his face to accomplish it. I love what John Piper has to say about this verse He says, Jesus, who was the very embodiment of his father's love for sinners, saw that the time had come and he set his face to fulfill his mission, to die in Jerusalem for our sake. Later on in Luke 18, Jesus reminds his disciples of this mission and he tells them this, look, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the son of man, that's Jesus, by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will murder him. And on the third day, he will rise. See, this this is astounding. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to Jerusalem to do. And it was to die, to be spit on and beaten and flogged and ultimately murdered. And yet he set his face to accomplish it. In John 10, 18, he says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. See, Jesus's life mission was to fulfill the gospel, to die in place of of sinners, to redeem the crown jewel of his creation, humanity. And in order to accomplish this, he had to go to Jerusalem. This was his mission. The gospel was everything. And because the gospel was everything, that means that the gospel message is necessary. The gospel message is necessary. When Jesus recognized that the time was near for him to accomplish the gospel, what did he do? Look back at verse 52. He says, he sent messengers into the villages to make preparations The gospel message is necessary. And so he sent messengers. You see, if the gospel is everything, if it is and was Jesus's mission, then that means that it's necessary to send messengers ahead with that message. If the gospel is everything, then it's important that we send messengers into our towns and our neighborhoods and our families and our communities, amen? to prepare their hearts so that they could know Jesus. And he sent messengers with a message. He sent these messengers into the Samaritan village with a message. What was that message? It was simply this, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Here's all of the things that he's done. Here's all the miracles that he's done. Here's the crowds that he has gathered. He is the Messiah. He is going to Jerusalem. Jesus is coming. That was the message. And that is our message, is it not? He sent them with a message and he sent them to make preparations to prepare people's hearts to receive Jesus, to extend to this village the offer of the kingdom. 
This is important for us to consider here today because you and I, as disciples of Jesus, we are the only ones with the gospel message, right? There's no one else who's gonna take this gospel message, this good news to the world. It is disciples of Jesus that are gonna take this message. And there is nothing more important for the people in our towns, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our families. There's nothing more important that they need to know than the fact that Jesus is coming. They need to know the gospel of Jesus. The gospel is everything. Salvation is found in it. We live in a world of news, don't we, right? Like we get news everywhere. Like you cannot try to live without getting news, right? Like it's all over. It's in your email inbox. It's in your you know, social media thread. It's in the 24 seven on like Fox News and CNN. Like we can't get away from news. Listen, there is no news that is more important than the gospel news, so we have to be men and women who are about it. It's important to remember also that when we take this gospel into our towns and our neighborhoods and our communities and our families, the reality is that some people are going to reject the gospel. Some people will reject the gospel. Verse 53 says, But when the people did not receive, but the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. Now I want to pause for just a minute uh, and recognize that there's a very cultural reason for this specific rejection of Jesus. I just want us to touch on it just briefly because I think it's important for us to understand. You see, this feud between Jews and Samaritans goes way back to the Old Testament. See, Jews believed that they were the pure blood people of God. And, and maybe they had some claim to that, right? Uh, Jews were people who married only within the 12 tribes of Israel. And Samaritans were Jews that went outside of those and married into pagan cultures. And so maybe there was some claim to this, but the Jews thought that they were better than the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated them for it. See, the Jews thought that the only place that you could worship God was in Jerusalem. And in order to worship God in Jerusalem, you had to be a Jew. So the Samaritans were out. And the Samaritans were like, hey, well, if that's the case, then we're gonna create our own place to worship over on Mount Gerizim. And then we're gonna worship God there, right? Forget Jerusalem. And they rejected the Jews and the Jews rejected the Samaritans. So when these Samaritans in this village heard from these messengers that Jesus was coming and that he was the Messiah and that his face was set towards Jerusalem, they rejected him. If you're gonna be the Messiah, you're gonna be the Messiah on Mount Gerizim. You're not gonna be the Messiah in Jerusalem. Now that specific example aside, I think the practical implication for all of us here this morning is this, not everyone will receive the gospel with open hearts and open minds. Some will reject the good news of Jesus. This is important for those of us in the room who are disciples of Jesus. This is important reality for us to consider. Because I think I can speak for most of us when I say that we hate rejection. I've never met anybody ever that was like, hey, I love to be rejected. <laughs> right? Like I just love when people are like, nah, man, go, go away. 
right? Like, like we hate rejection, right? Like who wants to be rejected? Listen, I, I hate rejection. I loathe rejection. I do not want to be rejected. I just, I, I hate it. There's nothing, there's no worse feeling than like, like sharing the gospel with someone and like bearing your heart and your soul to that person and saying, hey, hey, man, Jesus is for you. He's not against you, man. Do you want to be a Christian? And they're like, nah, man, I'm out. <laughs> ah, right? Let's just be real here. This is coming from <laughs> one of your pastors at this church. I'd rather just like not share the gospel uh, than be rejected. Right? Who wants to have that hard conversation? Now, I recognize that there are like three evangelists in the room who are like, I want to have that conversation. Sign me up. Awesome. You can talk to my family about Jesus, right? Do you take cash or check? Like, because I don't want to do it. Listen, the hard truth is that some people will reject the gospel. And this is not fun, but guys, if the gospel is everything, I'm preaching to myself here. If the gospel is everything, if life is found in the gospel, if hope is found in the gospel, then we have to be people that share the gospel regardless of rejection, regardless of rejection. It's important for us to remember this that even when the people around us reject the gospel, listen, they still need to hear the gospel regardless of how they respond to it. They still need to hear it regardless of how they respond to the gospel. We also need to remember that the gospel message is enough. The gospel message is, is enough. Look at verse 54. When Jesus' disciples, James and John, saw that the Samaritan village had rejected Jesus, they asked him, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Okay. <laughs> what do we do with that? You see, when James and John saw that this village rejected Jesus and his messengers and ultimately the gospel message, they asked Jesus, hey, do you want us to do a miracle so that these people would see that you are Yahweh and believe? And Jesus's answer is no, the gospel is enough. See, at first glance, when we read this question from James and John, it seems a little harsh, doesn't it? Do you want us to call fire down from heaven and burn these people alive? Like, what's with these guys? Like, they've been walking with Jesus for how long? And this is the question that they come up with. My initial interpretation of this passage when I first read it is that these guys just seem immature and rebellious and judgmental and vengeful, hateful even, right? But I think a passage of scripture like this one is, this one is why it's so important to know your Bible, this is why it's so important to know your Bible. It's why we have to do the hard work of comprehending the passage before we ever try to interpret the passage. It's, it's passages like this why, is why I write comprehension questions into our sermon discussion guides every single week for your community groups because we have to comprehend the text before we ever try to interpret it. Because if we try to interpret passages of scripture like this without comprehending passages of scriptures like this, 
we risk jumping to conclusions without fully understanding. So what exactly are these two guys asking of Jesus? You see, we have to remember that James and John just experienced this transfiguration event on the mountaintop, right? They were just on the mountaintop and they realized that Jesus was Yahweh, right? God of the Old Testament in the flesh, Jesus. And so they come down from that mountain and they've been, it's been, what, a couple of days now? And so they're still chewing on this reality that Jesus is this God of the Old Testament, See, these guys also know and are well-versed in their Old Testament. So they would know like Elijah the prophet, right? They would know some of the events that happened in the Old Testament. And surely 2 Kings chapter one would have come to mind for these guys. You don't have to turn there right now, but I encourage you later this week or later today to turn there and read this passage of scripture. I'm gonna paraphrase it for us for the sake of time. But in 2 Kings chapter one, there was this new king in Samaria, a new king in Samaria who had rebelled against Yahweh and against Israel. And while he was in his palace, it says that he fell through the lattice in his upper chamber and he was hurt. And he didn't know if he was gonna live or die. And so instead of going to Yahweh and asking the question, am I gonna live or die? He sent messengers to Beelzebub, God of Ekron, to see if he was going to live or die. And so Yahweh says to Elijah, hey, ask the king this, is there no God in Israel that you would go to this pagan God? And instead of turning to Yahweh, the king sends 50 soldiers to grab Elijah and bring him back to the palace. And Elijah says, hey, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume these 50 soldiers. And fire came down from heaven and consumed the 50 soldiers. And so in an act of complete um, wisdom, the king sent another 50 soldiers to grab Elijah. And Elijah said, if I'm a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume these 50 soldiers. And it happened. And this is astonishing. The king was like, how about another 50? Let me send another 50 soldiers to Elijah. And this guy, this captain was like, okay, two plus two equals four. Last two guys got burned with fire. When he gets to Elijah, he falls down on his knees and he says this in 2 Kings chapter two, the text is gonna be up on the screen. He it says, again, the, the king sent uh, the captain of a third 50 with his 50 and the, the third captain went up and came and he fell before his knees, fell on his knees before Elijah and entreated him, oh man of God, please let my life and the life of these 50 servants of yours be precious in your sight. Behold, fire came down from heaven and consumed the two former captains of 50 men with their 50s, but now let my life be precious in your sight. And Yahweh spared this captain. See, James and John are recognizing that this Samaritan village has rejected Jesus and they, who they know is Yahweh. And so what these guys are asking Jesus is basically this, hey, do you want us to do the same miracle that Elijah did so that the Samaritans would see that you are Yahweh and fall on their knees and believe so that you could spare their lives. And Jesus says, no, the gospel 
is enough. Now, verse 55 does say that Jesus rebuked James and John. He sharply criticized them for their question. And some translations in your Bibles even include Jesus saying to them, you don't know what manner spirit you are of, for the Son of Man didn't come to destroy people's lives, but to save them. The reality is that James and John didn't have the right motives in asking this question and therefore they deserve the rebuke that they received. I can't tell you what those motivations are. Scripture doesn't say. But I believe that the overall point of this message is clear. The gospel is enough. Jesus sent the messengers. He doesn't, there's no miracles required. The gospel is everything. And finally, we get to what I believe is the most sobering verse in this entire passage in verse 56. And they went on to another village. See, this verse reminds us that rejecting the gospel has serious and eternal consequences. We see that upon rejecting his messengers, Jesus moves on to another village I think this just goes to show that Jesus, he's got a mission. His time is limited. His face is set on going to Jerusalem. His face is set on accomplishing the gospel. It's everything. And those that would stand in the way of that gospel or or who would reject it are simply going to be passed by. There are serious and eternal consequences for rejecting Jesus. This is... This is a heartbreaking reality for the Samaritan village. You see, Jesus was so close. Yahweh was right there, the Messiah, the Savior of the world was in reach right at their fingertips, but they rejected him and his messengers. They rejected the gospel. Listen, we're not promised a miracle. We're only promised the gospel See, God hasn't promised to call fire down from heaven right in front of you so that you would see his power and believe in him. He's only sent his gospel. He sent his messengers ahead to tell us, look, he lived the life that you and I could never live. He died a death that he did not deserve. He paid the price for, a sin, for sins that he did not commit. And he rose again from that grave and has ascended to the throne of God so that you and I could have eternal life if only we would believe upon him and have salvation. See, he sent his messengers to remind us that he's coming back again. The message hasn't changed. Jesus is coming back. And when he does, it won't be as a humble servant. It'll be as a conquering king. When Jesus comes back the second time, it won't be as the Lamb of God. It'll be as the Lion of Judah. Hallelujah. And it's a rejection of this gospel, this good news, this reality has serious and eternal consequences because when Jesus returns, It'll be the win the war against his enemies. And when that day comes, you do not wanna be on the other side. Listen, I don't tell you all of this to scare you or to be some hellfire and brimstone preacher. Like that's not, 
what I'm about. I tell you this because I love you and I do not want you to leave this room without considering that the gospel is everything. It's everything. Well, if the gospel is everything, that means that there are two very important practical implications moving forward for all of us here in the room. And the first is this, there is an urgency in receiving the gospel. There is an urgency in receiving the gospel. We don't know when Jesus will decide to move on. We don't know when our chances to receive the gospel will run out. None of us are promised tomorrow. Maybe you're someone here today who's heard the gospel several times, but you've just never taken it seriously. Maybe you're someone who goes to church on a weekly basis or a monthly basis or a couple of times a year basis. Maybe you would identify yourself as a Christian, but the reality is that the gospel really just hasn't had an impact in your life. It hasn't changed who you are. It hasn't changed your character. It doesn't change or influence the choices you make or the life that you live. If that's you here this morning, I want you to know that the gospel offer is on the table, right? Like here's the message, like, like the God, it's yours for the taking, right? Like you do not have to walk out of this room without receiving the gospel here today. Like it's yours. Jesus is for you. He's not against you. My hope, my prayer is that you would not leave this place without it. There's an urgency in receiving the gospel. None of us are promised tomorrow, but then there's also this urgency for those of us in the room who are disciples of Jesus. There is an urgency in sharing the gospel. There is an urgency for us to share the gospel. If the gospel is everything, if it is and was Jesus's mission, if there are truly serious and eternal consequences to living and dying without the gospel, then shouldn't we share it? We must have an incredible urgency in sharing the gospel for, to, with those who are around us. Listen, there is no other salvation besides the gospel of Jesus. There's none. There are no innocent people. There are no good people. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no other way to salvation other than Jesus. There is no other religion. There is no other God. There is no other belief system or faith system that will pay for your sins and reconcile you to the holy God of this book right here. Only the gospel. It's only belief and faith in his life and his death and his resurrection. Only belief in that reality and a commitment to being his disciple will save you. That's it. The gospel is literally everything. And listen, guys, we have to commit right here in this room as disciples of Jesus to sharing that gospel. We have to commit. We have to share it with the people in our our lives. We have to share it with our families and we have to share it with our coworkers and our communities. We have to share it with this community right here. Listen, if we're gonna build a Jesus culture right here in the White Mountains, we have to commit to sharing the gospel. We have to make it easier for people who don't know Jesus to know Jesus. If 
you truly believe that the gospel is everything, you will share it. Amen. I am so thankful for the gospel. I'm thankful for its work in my life. I'm thankful that God would step into my place. That he would walk among sinful humanity that as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. that he would live the life that I could never live, that he would die the death that I deserve, that he would rise again and conquer sin and death, that he granted me a righteousness that is not my own. I'm thankful for that gospel. So praise God that he set his face towards Jerusalem, amen? Let me pray. Father in heaven, we're just so thankful for your grace, God, for your mercy, for your gospel. We're, Lord, we're so thankful that you, uh, that you don't leave us without a way, but you have made a way where there was no way. We're thankful for your gospel, Lord. I pray for everyone in this room, everyone listening online, Lord, that they would receive it, Lord, that they would know you and follow you and live with you in eternity forever. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.